Our theme this Christmas is Prepare Him Room. Together, we are considering practices that help us prepare room in our hearts and lives for Jesus, not just for Christmas time, but always. Today, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9, which you might have heard before. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So we have this metaphor of darkness and God bringing light. And what marks that light? The passage says, For you, God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So no more burden, no more oppression. And the uniforms of soldiers aren't only unnecessary, they're destroyed. And how is this light breaking through? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so this child is coming to bring so much goodness to the world. The light that is coming shines to end oppression and violence. And Isaiah describes that light as shining on everyone, creating joy and peace for everyone. Now, when it comes to the fulfillment of Isaiah's words, we, for obvious reasons, think of the Christmas story. And specifically, we narrow in on Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But our question tonight is about preparation, how we prepare room. And so it can actually be helpful for us to remember how that element, preparation, it's built into the story too, through the other baby, John. John the Baptist is actually very involved in the Christmas story as it's unfolding in real time and with its real people. He's Jesus's cousin. He's just six months older. In fact, in Mark's gospel, there is no story of Jesus's birth. It starts with John the Baptist. The book of John starts with the poetic introduction of God's work, and that includes Jesus's arrival, but there isn't a Christmas story. And then John jumps to John the Baptist. Even Matthew and Luke, who tell us Christmas stories, they still get to John the Baptist pretty quickly, and he's woven in those narratives. John the Baptist prepares the people for Jesus. That's the purpose of his life. That's the task set for him. Now of John, his father Zachariah says, You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. There's that light metaphor again. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so you see how both in Isaiah 9 and in the words of Zechariah, the coming of Jesus marks an era of peace. Peace is a significant trait of the reign of God breaking through on earth. If you fast forward the story beyond Christmas to adulthood, 
John starts stepping out to do this preparing work, to tell the people to get ready. What does that actually look like? He invites them to repentance. And repentance, if you want to put it simply, it's turning. It's the U-turn from a way that leads to violence or anxiety or conflict or shame and toward a way that creates peace. And isn't it interesting how peace is the opposite of any of those four things? Peace is the opposite of violence and anxiety and conflict and shame. Because peace is holistic. It's personal. And it's a state of relationship we can have with God and others. And it's a way that systems or societies or governments can be. And both in Isaiah 9, as well as Zechariah's words in the gospel, you see those multifaceted dimensions expressed. There's a mention of the government on the shoulders of the Messiah. There's a mention of the forgiveness of our sins. You could go through the whole Bible and notice how peace is described holistically. It's like the way that light fills a space. It touches everything it can. So Christmas comes, light breaking in. The holistic peace of God in Jesus, ready for our personal lives, our relational lives, and the world. And John is here on the scene to help people prepare, and his word is repent. In Luke 3, John begins to baptize people as this symbol of repentance. And the crowd comes to him and says, so what should we do then? And John answers, anyone with two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John describes that turning. Turn from greed, practice generosity. Turn from extortion and practice equity. Turn from lying and practice honesty. Turn from the thing getting in the way of the light. Turn toward something that will invite light in. Repentance is a preparatory practice. On Saturday, my parents drove away from frigid Illinois for our golden state, and we are all looking forward to their Christmas visit. They're going to stay with us for about a week before they head out to the beach for a bit. And so on Monday, it was prep day. You know that pre-visit prep day, right? You put clean sheets and towels out. You buy the cereal they like. You clean. And in our case, you start trying to wheel your children into sleeping well in a shared bedroom by saying things like, now remember that we need to let each other sleep while Grammy and Oompa are here. And then you hope it sticks. Prep day is when we take out things that might get in the way during the visit. We turn away from them and we bring in things that might make it better. We turn toward them. Out with the dozen stuffies clogging up the guest room because it's normally our six-year-olds. In with the tamales. Out with piles of papers asking for our attention. In with good coffee and all the ingredients you need to bake something yummy. Things that invite our attention to the people at hand and the story we're celebrating. We want relational peace. So we prepare our home. Repentance is a preparatory practice. 
It prepares us to make peace. Because that is a big part of peace that's coming. Often, it's not just something that is given to us and we receive it. Peace is something that we make. Psalm 34, 14 captures it this way. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In Hebrew poetry, these echoing phrases are crafted intentionally to reiterate a point. And so this is not two thoughts. The first being turn from evil and do good. The second different thought being seek peace and pursue it. These are actually the same thought expressed two different ways. Turn from evil and do good is seek peace and pursue it. They're the same. Turn from evil is seek peace. Do good is pursuing peace. They're intentionally crafted to express the same idea. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so repentance is not simply a preparatory practice. Repentance is a peacemaking practice. A couple months back, two of my pastor friends, Ashley and Christine, met one another for the first time, which was very fun for me to watch via social media. It was in the context of them taking a trip with a group to Rwanda. They were there to learn from pastors and peacemakers about how their community was healing in the wake of the genocide. And they told beautiful, difficult stories of how peace was coming and light was breaking in because of the practice of repentance. People were telling the truth about the way they had headed and they were turning. And it's never as simple as that description when it's played out in real time. But the reality is the peace that is glimmering in Rwanda comes because of peacemakers who are willing to repent. Similarly, a little over three years ago, I was in Israel, Palestine, and I wasn't there to see the holy sites. I was primarily there to understand the history and conflict better. And as I talked to a few of the folks, they expressed how they were trying to learn from global models in peacemaking. Rwanda and South Africa both came up. And it was specifically because the people involved in the peacemaking efforts were willing to be serious and humble about the need for repentance. That somebody had to say what happened and turn a new way. It's true when it comes to global issues, but repentance can also be a peacemaking practice relationally with somebody that we're just out of sync with or in conflict with. That practice of turning away from whatever habit is keeping the relationship in distress and turning towards something that will bring more light to that relationship. Sometimes that's an apology, but sometimes that's just about putting aside a difference or trying to empathize with something you don't normally understand or agree with. Repentance can also be a practice for personal peace. Certainly when the thing disrupting our peace is sin or something we've done wrong, then turning away from it will invite peace in. But this can also be true of other ways that we don't experience the peace of God personally. It's not that we repent from shame because shame is wrong. Shame is often something that has sort of trapped us. But we can turn towards truth and wholeness and not live in that shame anymore and find light there. Now, there's one more commonality, I think, between peacemaking and repentance. And it's worth naming if we're going to practice either. 
I think we can at times disengage because I didn't do it. Sometimes I didn't do it feels a lot more true than what can I repent of? And there's a lot going into that, but some of it at least is that it's incredibly uncomfortable to practice repentance. Some of it is we don't think we did it because our culture has a really individualized sense of self. We tend to think about our own choices and our own things that we're responsible for, but not ways that we're interconnected. And because of that, we also might look at spaces without peace. The Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too, LGBTQ plus protection and rights, food or housing insecurity, global conflicts, and we feel like I didn't create this. And we might do the same interpersonally. We tend to see the fracture in the relationship as the other person's fault, see our behavior and response as the right, reasonable way. Now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that that's true. Let's say we didn't really do it, which, if we ever feel that, is worth poking at, especially if it's maybe symptomatic of privilege in some way. But for now, let's say we didn't do it. Let's say we didn't make that mess. That puts us right there next to God. God didn't do it. God didn't put darkness in the world. The fear, violence, hatred, war, selfishness, those aren't God's fault. So when we feel that sense of, but I didn't do it, we can just copy God's course of action, which brings us back to Christmas, where God comes right into the thick of the darkness where God sees our personal need to be made whole, free from shame, forgiven from sin, and God sees our relationships breaking apart, and God sees global violence and oppression. In response to all of that, God comes to bring peace to it all. God comes to help us make peace with ourselves so that we can experience the forgiveness of sin, the assurance that we are worthy and loved, the freedom from shame. God comes to help make peace in our relationships. And models loving one another, forgiving one another, serving one another. God comes to help us make peace in the world. So Jesus will reign without oppressing, rule without warmongering. Jesus will remake things where the ones who feel left out are invited in, and the ones called least are first on the minds of those who receive and follow Jesus. We cannot opt out of peacemaking if we want to prepare Christ's room. And so we invite God to shine light into our own hearts, to illuminate ways that we live with less than the holistic peace that God is bringing, to show us the habits or the thoughts or the practices that are getting in the way of peace for ourselves or others. We invite God to show us where we might need to repent, to turn away from something that is blocking peace, to turn towards something that invites it. We can ask God, what do I repent of? in order to engage in the peacemaking work you have for me. And so God, bringer of light, shine in us to show us where we might be walking away from peace and could make a turn towards it again. Whether it is personal, relational, or global, as we prepare room for you, invite us to be peacemakers and give us the courage to repent of ways that we are not. In Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.